Hi, this is Chris McGregor. The work of Discerning Hearts really could not continue without your prayers and support. Between now and December 31st, please consider making a year-end tax-deductible gift to Discerning Hearts. We are a 501c3 not-for-profit organization. Your donation is fully tax-deductible to the extent permitted by law. Click the Donate button on DiscerningHearts.com or inside the Discerning Hearts free app. Your generous support will allow us to continue producing the type of spiritual formation programming you have come to expect from us, like those from Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, and so many more. Please prayerfully consider supporting our mission, which is dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. Thank you, and God bless from all of us at Discerning Hearts. DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Pope Francis, in his encyclical letter, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith, said that faith past, the act of Jesus' love which brought new life to the world, comes down to us through the memory of others, witnesses, and is kept alive in that one remembering subject, which is the Church. The Church is a mother who teaches us to speak the language of faith. In that spirit, this series of conversations with Archbishop Lucas brings the many aspects of the Catholic faith and why it matters, not only to the individual, but also to families, communities, and the world at large. Why it matters an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. With Archbishop George Lucas, we begin our conversation on Dei Verbum. The Second Vatican Council's The Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation, which was promulgated by Pope Paul VI on the 18th of November, 1965, following approval by the assembled bishops by a vote of 2,344 to 6. The phrase Dei Verbum is Latin for Word of God and is taken from the first line of the document as is customary for titles of major Catholic documents. In the preface of the document, it states that hearing the Word of God with reverence and proclaiming it with faith, the Sacred Synod takes its direction from these words of St. John, We announce to you the eternal life, which dwelt with the Father and was made visible to us. What we have seen and heard, we announce to you, so that you may have fellowship with us, and our common fellowship be with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, the preface continues, following in the footsteps of the Council of Trent and of the First Vatican Council, this present council wishes to set forth authentic doctrine on divine revelation and how it is handed on, so that by hearing the message of salvation, the whole world may believe. By believing, it may hope, and by hoping, it may love. We now begin our conversation with Archbishop Lucas. Welcome, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you. This particular document on divine revelation that came out of the Second Vatican Council in 1965, towards the end of their time of convening, it really is probably one of the most lovely documents 
of all of them. And it's rather short compared to the other ones. That's, it is relatively brief compared, compared to others. And so we could encourage our listeners to pick it up and read it for themselves. We'll talk a little bit about it here. But, but yes, it's, a, it's beautiful. And why wouldn't it be, you know, as, as the church reflects on divine revelation and this beautiful gift we have of God telling us about himself, showing us his divine plan for us, which is all good. I think, you know, we'll talk more about this, but, you know, one of the real practical effects of the Second Vatican Council, and people who weren't around before wouldn't notice the difference, but the place that sacred scripture takes now in our in our Catholic life is much more prominent and in a practical way much more present, accessible to us, both in the liturgy and in in private prayer in our in our study and in in our um, discussions together we kind of take it for granted that uh, sacred scripture god's holy word will be part of of whatever it is that it was never totally absent but it's as you say a very beautiful and inspiring document but also has had some very i think beautiful practical implications for the life of the church i think we take it for granted don't we i mean after a generation or so uh, following the council that prior to this, it's not that the scriptures were not a, an important part of the church and the conversation and the, I mean even the reflection from Vatican I and previous councils, scripture is very important. But this one, this particular document, more colloquially known as De Verbum, uh, Latin for the Word of God, I don't know if we really appreciated what a light this became for the church, and, and people gravitated to it right away. Right, and, and it's fine if we take it for granted uh, today because it, it, it is a, a beautiful and living part of our experience. We have to think that um, it was perhaps somewhat in reaction to the Protestant Reformation that the place of Scripture in, in the life of the church and in the life of individual Christians was maybe not diminished but sort of overshadowed by some other ways of teaching and, and other ways of, of learning and understanding our Catholic faith. So we weren't opposed to the scriptures, and we weren't contradicting them at all. The Council Fathers here, and it's, it's complemented in other documents too, the one on, on the sacred liturgy, for example. But the, the Council Fathers, the understanding that just as every Catholic is called to holiness, and every Catholic has a part to play in the, in the vitality of the church and the health of the church, you might say, and in the proclamation of the gospel, that every Catholic needs to be exposed to the scriptures and to have that be part of our worship, part of the preaching that uh, that we hear, but also part of our own prayer and reflection. Yeah, it's right off the bat. It addresses the issues of revelation. What is the nature of revelation? What what does it mean? And I I think if you were to ask maybe the average Catholic or in particular even the the average Christian, I don't know if we would be able to fashion an answer easily. Yeah, well, it's a big question that you that you raise, and and it's it's a, a complicated but beautiful, multifaceted answer. At its root, we un- understand that our God loves us so much that He wants to be known by us, and so makes Himself known. Kind of takes the initiative to do that in a variety of ways, uh, in some natural ways. We we see the power and the wisdom of God reflected in in creation, in our own selves. We're created in the image and likeness of God, so I see God reflected in you, but in a more kind of specific way and really in, in a very loving way, a way that shows his care for us through the what we call the scriptures, the Bible. God has revealed something about himself, something about us, 
and, and then something about God's plan for us in, in relationship to him. We see that as a great gift. In a sense, God didn't owe that to us. He loves us so much that, that, he, that he wants to, to be known. So we value so much the, this uh, divine revelation, which is personified in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Another facet, kind of at the center of this understanding, Christian understanding of revelation, is that in the fullness of time, God's living word became flesh, uh, Jesus Christ, uh, our, our Savior, and that it's in relationship with Jesus that all of the rest of Revelation kind of makes its full sense, <laughs> and that we understand it all in and through Jesus Christ. And of course, the revelation of God's love for us in Jesus is the ultimate gift, and leads us to understand without doubt how, how much God cares about us. So the, you know, when God looks at us, what's he, what's he thinking? What's his impulse? It's all it's all love, and it's it's all about uh, bringing us to to full life with our sins forgiven. I would say that then, from what you've just said, I mean, at its core, De Verbum is our divine revelation. It because it has its apex right in Jesus Christ, and from that, everything else flows. And looking at Scripture, sacred Scripture, but also tying in sacred tradition, is all of an aspect of allowing that message of Christ to be manifested to the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God, God's plan has been revealed over many centuries and, and, and generations. As we now read what we call the Old Testament, we read it in light of the coming of, of, of Jesus Christ. So even though his name isn't on those pages, uh, we un- understand where this is all going and, in a sense, understand what God was talking about. It's kind of a crude way of putting it, but we understand the, the meaning the Old Testament scriptures in in the light of the coming of Jesus. And then the New Testament, of course, all flows from his coming and from the power of his Paschal mystery. So he is right at the uh, at the center of it. And the uh, what we call tradition in our uh, Catholic understanding, an aspect of, of revelation, flows from the teaching of the apostles who had this personal relationship with Jesus and then from the inspired reflection of the church's pastors in every generation on this central truth, who is the person, Jesus Christ, on the mystery of his death and, and resurrection, and then on the totality of what we commonly call the Bible, the revealed word of God in, in, in Scripture. It's a remarkable thing which this dogmatic constitution on divine revelation gives to us. It's foundational in that it encourages us to see that in that totality that, yes, it's sacred scripture, it's sacred tradition, but it's the, it manifests itself in the entire lived-out experience of the person, the sacramental experience, everything. It's all an organic whole, and the, the church and especially the teaching office, helps to keep that intact. Am I making Both, uh, two things, to keep it intact, but also to keep it alive yeah. so that it never in any generation is a, is a dead letter. Not that it's changing or that we pull it apart and put it back together in a, in a different way, but uh, because there is this living teaching office uh, that Jesus has entrusted the church and, and entrusted the content of, of revelation and, and tradition to living pastors under the the guidance of, of the Holy Spirit, it can be experienced afresh in, in every age. So we don't just think about things that happened in the past. Some did happen in the past, and we do think about them. 
But as we walk through scripture, as we read it or meditate on it, or as we try to understand how to live our faith day by day, it's not like we're in a museum looking at, at some relics from the past. We see the word of God is living because it ultimately is enfleshed in, in Jesus Christ and then is proclaimed by living voices uh, in every generation. From the Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation, Dei Verbum, Number 10. Sacred tradition and sacred scripture form one sacred deposit of the Word of God committed to the Church. Holding fast to this deposit, the entire holy people, united with their shepherds, remain always steadfast in the teaching of the apostles, in the common life, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers so that holding to, practicing, and professing the heritage of the faith, it becomes on the part of the bishops a faithful, single, common effort. But the task of authentically interpreting the Word of God, whether written or handed on, has been entrusted exclusively to the living teaching office of the Church, whose authority is exercised in the name of Jesus Christ. This teaching office is not above the Word of God, but serves it, teaching only what has been handed on, listening to it devoutly, guarding it scrupulously, and explaining it faithfully in accord with a divine commission and with the help of the Holy Spirit, it draws from this one deposit of faith everything which it presents for belief as divinely revealed. It is clear, therefore, that sacred tradition, sacred scripture, and the teaching authority of the Church in accord with God's most wise design are so linked and joined together that one cannot stand without the others, and that all together, and each in its own way under the action of the one Holy Spirit, contribute effectively to the salvation of souls. Yeah, I thought it was beautiful in the, in the document how in that particular section, when if the reader goes back and takes a look at 7 through particularly 11, of the document, it talks about how that is passed on, how God is working through the human authors, not only in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament, to communicate this revelation. And that's an important thing because, yes, there are human authors, but ultimately it's a sacred action of the Holy Spirit working through them. Right. Right. It's a- Cooperative effort, we could say, obviously, the majority of the, 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 the truth and the grace comes from, from God, but the human authors are more than simply a pen in the, in the hand of God, but they're, it's, it's coming through their own faith and their own creativity and, and so forth, but God is, is using that. And the Spirit is guiding, has guided their efforts so that what they produce contains the truth of God's revelation. So it's what God wants uh, written in. And then, of course, as we know, brought forward by the church in that apostolic experience of the Nicene Council and and a number of others that came together to authenticate what that lived experience, codify it essentially, and say this is, we know that this is sacred, as opposed to other things that were written that are not necessarily given that same weight. Right, so there's a great example of how, how scripture and tradition have meshed, you, you, you might say, because the, the pastors of the church took on the, the responsibility, rightly, to, to decide, is this really 
divinely inspired scripture, or isn't it? And there are these other writings, contemporaneous, some of them with the gospel or other New Testament writings, some from, from Old Testament times, that are interesting and that say some things that are good and, and true, but we understand they're not what God intends us to, you know, to see as part of the divinely revealed truth of, of Scripture. So it's, that's the, it was the responsibility of the living church and, and her pastors from the very beginning to take hold of the Scriptures and accept them and authenticate them. You, you might say they weren't the same people that produced them, but through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit could, could put the, the church's stamp of approval on them. I, I mean that very respectfully. So that now in our time, we can look back and say, this is the real thing. And we can put our confidence in what being said there and, and what is being taught. We'll return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. The Creed I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation he came down from heaven and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary, and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death, and was buried, and rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. 
We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, or Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I love so much about the Catholic faith. Being a Catholic, for me, is to take up the scriptures that I know that has been given to us, handed down to us by the Church, and it hasn't changed. I mean, the the translations have varied given the cultural experiences of who it's being communicated to, but the substance of it has not. Unfortunately, for our Protestant brothers and sisters, I I feel for them that they're missing out even just a small— sections that have been left out from those who have chosen something apart from that apostolic tradition to take out pieces. That's unfortunate. I feel bad for them. Right. We want the fullness of of God's revelation, of course. And I think um, we are grateful for what we have and and also grateful for what what we all have in common. That that comes from ancient traditions in the church before there were those separations. The, The basics, the gospel and the letters of Paul and and all those things. I mean, that's something that we do share so um, beautifully. And that an importance because it is something that is sacred. And in essence, it's, it's sacramental to that when we hear and we read and we listen. And the church is encouraged through this particular dogmatic constitution. Again, I, I don't know if we appreciate uh, the, the force of the church saying, please take and read. Kind of like St. Augustine hearing that, you know, take and read. Because... Prior to that, that hadn't been as much emphasis as we we were talking about it earlier, taken granted today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not in recent centuries anyway. But, we, you know, St. Jerome says ignorance of the scripture is ignorance of Christ. So we say that in a positive way, that when, when, we, when we open the Bible prayerfully, we, we're going to encounter Jesus. He's going to reveal himself to us. He's present, present there. And so it's a, it is a, a great gift to us in a way that individually, personally, but also corporately, as we study or, or as we worship together, that, that we have an, uh, an encounter with, with the Lord who's alive. We read about him in the Gospels, and we hear the other uh, scriptural authors in the New Testament who talk about Jesus or about our, our life in the church. But those, as I said, those are not simply words on a page. It's a, a, a living revelation of God's love for us. And when and if, we, if we're properly disposed, we ask the guidance of the Holy Spirit and or when we hear, uh, and so we open and open the scriptures to pray ourselves. Or when we uh, more uh, properly hear them proclaimed in the in, in the sacred liturgy, we understand that we might say just this is Jesus talking to us, and he's talking to us right now. You know, not it's not an echo of the past. He, he's telling he's speaking to us now and telling us something that's good for us to hear. We know that the the words of scripture are sometimes uh, consoling, sometimes they're challenging. Sometimes they remind us we're on the wrong path and, and we need to turn back to God and to walk the, the ways of grace. But whatever we're hearing, it's good because it's God's design 
for us and God's uh, designs for us are, are all good. They're all, all for, for our flourishing, even when we're when we find ourselves convicted, you know, of something that that's wrong. But the totality of Scripture, and particularly in the in the person of Jesus, um, uh, leads us to understand the mercy of God and the the desire of God that we turn to Him and live, not turn to Him and be clobbered. It, it is such a be- beautiful and living gift for for us right now. Uh, those uh, of us who are able to study the Scriptures, and whether it's in formal courses, which, which are good. At the same time, we have so many opportunities for scripture studies and scripture sharing, which can lead those who participate to a deeper understanding, understanding in, in harmony with the church's understanding of, of what the scriptures can. Any of us who participate in those opportunities, I think, find them to be a great benefit. From the Dogmatic Constitution on Divine Revelation, Dei Verbum, 11. Those divinely revealed realities which are contained and presented in sacred scripture have been committed to writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. For Holy Mother Church, relying on the belief of the apostles, holds that the books of both the New and Old Testaments in their entirety, with all their parts, are sacred and canonical because written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they have God as their author and have been handed on as such by the Church herself. For Holy Mother Church, relying on the belief of the Apostles, holds that the books of both the Old and New Testament in their entirety, with all their parts, are sacred and canonical, because written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they have God as their author, and have been handed on as such to the Church herself. In composing the sacred books, God chose men, and while employed by him, they made use of their powers and abilities, so that with him, acting in them and through them, they, as the true authors, consigned to writing everything and only those things which he wanted. Therefore, since everything asserted by the inspired authors or sacred writers must be held to be asserted by the Holy Spirit, It follows that the books of Scripture must be acknowledged as teaching solidly, faithfully, and without error the truth which God wanted put into sacred writings for the sake of salvation. Therefore, all Scripture is divinely inspired and has its use for teaching the truth and refuting error, for reformation of manners and discipline in right living, so that the man who belongs to God may be efficient and equipped for a good work of every kind. Yeah, it's amazing the proliferation of the types of studies that people can enter into, Those, uh, whether it's a, a very formalized study of going back and looking at the actual writings and their places, development, historical understanding, or just the, the types of studies that will take it in and allow you to pray Alexio Divina or whatever that is that helps in that nature. It really is, I wanted to say the bread and butter, but it really is in a very real way that such a foundational part of everything we have in faith, isn't it? It is, and I think that's one of the blessings that, that comes from the, from the council. It's a, a more common experience uh, for all of us, of of, uh, of the scriptures and of their accessibility and, and really of their foundational uh, place, not only in the life of the church as a whole, which they've always had, of course, but also in our in our own lives and in our relationship with the living Lord. 
They acknowledge in Dave Arabom the different types of literature or writings that can be found in the scriptures. And they go back and they encourage the scholarship. Though Dave Arabom doesn't specifically talk about the four different classical senses of the scriptures, the literal sense and then the spiritual sense that has been customarily divided into three, the allegorical, the tropological, and the anagological senses. And we, you know, those are all nice big words that a lot of people, I mean, I even struggle with oftentimes trying to delineate it. But what it does in section 12, it essentially lays the groundwork and shows this wonderful thing that would come out of not only this document, but would be later fleshed out in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, that the Catechism mines the documents, and in particular this one, uh, so often, and then a lot, gives it even more insight. Mm-hmm. The Council Fathers acknowledged the, the scriptural scholarship that had been going on already for a number of years before the time of the Council, which in many cases has helped us understand the context in which the individual books of the Bible were originally produced, uh, what the circumstances were, and, and what the, the cultural understanding of various either types of literature or expressions of language, you know, what, what that, those would have meant to the people in, in those days. So it doesn't mean we're, we're bound by only that understanding, but it does really open up a clear sense of how God was communicating with people in, in that time. And then as we come to a, 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 a clearer understanding of, of how that all happened, it, it enriches an understanding of, for us as well. So as I said before, you know, Jesus is talking to us right now when we, when we read the scriptures, but we're, there's a richness there that we can uncover and as we dig down in, into an understanding of the, of the literary forms, the historical circumstances and, and so forth. So, you know, there's a danger. We become too scientific about it. Again, we, we don't want to overlook anything that's true about the scriptures, but it's, it's not the same thing as looking at, a, at Shakespeare, for example, because we, we always approach this with faith, with an understanding that this is God's revelation to us. It, it's not something that, that something that somebody just happened to sit down and write one day, however talented they might have been. You said before, it's sacred scripture, so we approach it respectfully, prayer, prayerfully. But those, um, the scriptural scholars, scripture scholars, have unlocked, I think, some uh, layers of understanding for us that, that have really been helpful. And the Council Fathers acknowledge that, so that, you know, that we don't need to be afraid of, of that scholarship. If, all we, if we reduce it to uh, simply a literary understanding of something that was written a long time ago, well, then, then we're missing the big point. Uh, you know, we're finding something there, but, but we're, we're missing the, we risk missing the, the truth of God's revelation, and we miss the encounter with Jesus Christ. Yeah, I think that's the key, isn't it? Because that's what makes it sacred. We'll continue our conversation with Archbishop Lucas on Dei Verbum, the dogmatic constitution on divine revelation, in our next episode. You've been listening to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha.
I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. George Lucas.